Today we're talking about playing your sheet versus playing your character. Welcome to Passive Aggressive Perception, a system agnostic TTRPG podcast where we ask more questions and we provide answers. I am Ivan, and this is the recording an episode to my having an episode, <laughs> Steve. Oh, that hurts today. <laughs> we will be this. We've recorded four hours of footage that will never be released to the public over the course of the first dozen episodes. Take two. Oh, boy. If it, anything about today's episode you don't love, uh, the previous version we recorded did it much better, I yep. assure you. It did it much, much better before uh, Adobe Audition decided to crap the bed. Not sponsored. Not sponsored. Uh, I don't think uh, Adobe needs <laughs> no, I mean, add time on no, I mean, our, our, bleep them. <laughs> yeah. um, we could have been sponsored. Hashtag could. could have been sponsored. Until we just now fucked that up, yeah. Hashtag oh. could have been sponsored. Mm, they I fucked it up first. That needs to be a movement. Mm. Could have been sponsored. Started today. Um, so yeah, man, tell me a little, about, a little bit about your week. You just got back from uh, Gen Con, right? I did. Which is super exciting. Yep. Uh, road trip with the boys and... There was all kinds of safety procedures. Masks were required. Uh, I don't think I saw more than four or five people the whole weekend who were, you know, just had them around their chin for any amount of time, just not being cool about it. Um, they capped attendance at half of what it usually is. Nice. The exhibit hall was uh, more spread out, less vendors, fewer vendors, um, and plenty of space, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, care taken to you know be safe this year. Awesome, um, and it was fun. Uh, got to play some games. Um, some games we wanted to demo were so busy that like we couldn't even demo them. So that's good. Really, uh, like these I, like smaller games? Yeah, um, but just like you know, they only have so many people to run the demos, and yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of games so they want to have a person like running the demo. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't necessarily. They have like the game libraries where you can just pay some tickets and you can play a game from the library. But like to demo games at, at cons, usually they have like an employee, you know, walking you through the game. Cool. Um, I was going to demo one game that I have on my list, but like I was so keen to get it anyways. Like I was just like, I don't need to demo it. So I'll just play it with my people. <laughs> yeah. And in true Ivan fashion, you would have loved it because I got the Kickstarter version in person. No. For like, they had it for like you only a little bit bitch. more. So the game I wanted uh, was for a little bit more had all the bells and whistles, including the player play mat. That's always sweet. Um, So I was like, yeah, cool. Let's pick that up. Got a couple games for a few friends who were like that were just coming out. Got an expansion for a friend for a game that wasn't even out for an expansion that wasn't even out yet. So I got to scoop that up early. Um, Yeah. And it was fun. Um, Like I said, I got to uh, go to the free league booth because I wanted to get the Simbarum starter set, which I succeeded in. Uh, they did not let me volunteer there for the entire weekend, though I probably would have, mm-hmm. and I would have um, uh, guerrilla uh, warfared my way into <laughs> spreading all of our swag into uh, to all of their patrons, and yeah, put them, putting yeah. putting them in the uh, sale bags and such. I <laughs> uh, got my sweet uh, Forbidden Lands bag that they put my stuff in, so that cool, was cool. Um, yeah, so it was super fun. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, um, I feel like scalpers are a freaking issue man it's and i'm only mentioning this because you said you got a kickstarter edition at the thing so it's obviously distributed through the company so it's Mm -hmm. not the same thing but that's one like trend i've noticed in ttrpgs board games anything that has like kickstarter exclusive physical components these sons of bitches are like buying them all up 
and then selling them for like double the price on like freaking Amazon or eBay mm. and and marking them as the Kickstarter exclusive version. It's like, God damn it. Yes. There's uh, all the Ivans they prey upon. Dude, all the Ivans they prey upon. And I feel like the COVID lockdown more than anything. Well, not more than anything, but in our space, our sphere here, the COVID lockdown has uh, really like made scalpers like a hot topic issue. Like everybody knows about this shit now. So all the sneaker heads that were buying up all the sneakers and like reselling them and making their living for years yes. are now like transitioning to video cards, yep. Kickstarters, all this other crap. And it's like ruining shit for the rest of us. They're- Board heads now? Yeah. <laughs> what do you call a board game enthusiast other than a board game enthusiast? Which nerd is a, alert. <laughs> you fucking nerd. <laughs> that's, There's a word for that's been around for decades that I, people yell at us. Um, no yeah, shortage, man. no shortage of that. Uh, speaking of Free League, uh, they just announced their uh, Blade Runner ttrpg that's coming out in 2022 yeah they are just collecting like 80s properties you can tell when the all the big wigs at free league were born yeah yeah it's it's i mean their alien has been super popular right people really love that Mm -hmm. and uh we were talking earlier about how uh whether or not there's gonna be whether or not the market is too saturated to accept another cyberpunk style game Mm -hmm. especially with like second edition of Shadowrun not having come out that long ago. Not second edition, sixth edition. Sixth I was thinking edition. Pathfinder for a second. But, but also a couple recent iterations of uh, Cyberpunk yeah. Uh, TM. Yeah. Like, I mean, whatever, dude. It's a capitalist market. You know what I mean? Cyberpunk is a hot thing right now, especially yeah. with well, Project Red. Really Project doesn't Red. have a Cyberpunk game. Yeah. Uh, also, the idea of perhaps maybe the Year Zero engine um, curtailing a little of the Shadowrun fatigue of rolling as many mm-hmm. dice as you can fit in two hands <laughs> to do a reg- to to make a ranged weapon attack. I've got you mentioned something in a previous episode that I, that I thought was great, and you said it's not a one shot. It was in the one shots versus um, yeah. campaign episode, and you said something like that isn't a one shot. It's just a scatter shot all from the same gun, <laughs> something like that. And I was like, that's brilliant. I just I imagine myself loading up my dice shotgun for something like Shadowrun, just having it ready or like one of those uh, those air cannon bazookas that oh, they gosh. launch T-shirts out no, of sports no games. Dice T-shirt gun. Yeah, for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, boy. Dude, and loaded up with D4s too, the most dangerous possible yeah, dice. Drops of, <laughs> um, so what you're saying is. Big wink Christmas idea for you, T-shirt gun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Dude, if you got me a T-shirt gun, I would be... Which is really just you know, a potato gun. I'll be honest with you. In a weird way, I do have a, like a T-shirt gun hookup. <laughs> what do you mean? Who has a T-shirt gun? Usually you say who, you have a T-shirt hookup. Who around here has a T-shirt gun? What 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 business around here you would use a T-shirt gun? I don't know. What I'm... sporting event? Basketball? No. Oh, a... hoopy hockey, baby. Yeah. That's really, I feel we'll like that would be dangerous. We'll rent the, 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 the for what you want to use it for. I mean, Newton's conservation of momentum, bro. I feel like you launch something out of a t-shirt gun, you go skating backwards way faster than you want to. I don't, I'm not sure if it's people on skates that use the gun. <laughs> way to you, ruin my whole mental image. Here's, here's, and I don't want to shock you, but when you're at a hockey game, not everyone has to be in skates. Are you sure about that? I don't know anything about sports, so I I'd mean, like to see you go to a hockey game as a fan <laughs> and be like, "It's so awkward to walk around in these." And I'll be like, "Why are you wearing?" <laughs> I've skates? got the full pads too. I've got the goalies I'll, outfit. Yeah, yeah. I'll, you can wear all my pads and like go to the game. I'll <laughs> be like, "I feel like you're using the wrong door, sir." And you're like, "No, I'm just a fan. No, just a fan. I'm just a really big fan. Who are you a fan of? 
hockeys. <laughs> Skates. Yeah, man. So this is something that I also wanted to talk about, which we discussed a little bit earlier, but the uh, titter pigs versus TTRPG mm. argument. Is there an argument? <laughs> well, I don't know. There's definitely two sides of the aisle. I am not caught up at all on uh, the lingo of the hobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never called a character of mine a tune. <laughs> I was going to say that's something that I've caught a lot of shit for. And I don't. Okay, so I picked that up from like the early days of like EverQuest and like World of Warcraft and stuff. You know what I mean? Where you just called your characters tunes. It was just like a quick thing to like, I don't know. And then I kind of like transferred that over into the tabletop space. And people were like, don't fucking do that. Don't call it a tune. Call They're it right. anything else. A character, They're a right. player character. I don't. It's not a tune. <laughs> Well, it makes me think because of the the game back in the day called Tune. Yeah. That was like, you basically played like a Looney Tune and Mm -hmm. you had like your bag of holding that you could pull out. Like uh, it was like a random chart. Like anything could come out of this thing. Have you ever actually played that? I have not. I've never played it, but um, I was aware of it back when we were still like trying to even figure out what playing this these games were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that we had it in our mind that like we would play this. But then I guess it's like the original Dusty Stag. Like that was one of those <laughs> games that you first found when you were trying to figure out how rules work and how like who's in charge, like what a GM does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I just think that we pro- I'm sure that Pete, whoever had the book played at some point. Yeah, Maybe it was just a game. So, I, in. I mean, a lot of people use this term titter pigs and no hate. I'm a 32 year old man, and I just feel a little awkward about using the term titter pigs. It is, <laughs> it is really silly. It's a real. It's like really silly, which is funny because we're always extolling the virtues of just let yourself be silly and let yourself be embarrassing. But I still can't bring myself to say titter. We pigs say that now. for at the table. Yeah, yeah, at the table, not away. When it's a lifestyle, you don't have to say. <laughs> You don't have to come up with the whatever the phrase is for turning it like an acronym <laughs> into a, a full sentence, right? Yeah. If you're like a uh, like a famed skeet shooter and you go around being like, "What people do you? What did you do this weekend? Oh, I went to go uh, practice shooty shooty bang bang. You know, super fun. It's like you don't want to diminish yourself with a ridiculous name, but um, although telling people you shoot skeet is still pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Why was that your example? <laughs> That's a really good point. I had not thought of that. Yeah, don't tell granddad you've been shooting skeet over the weekend. It's going to uh, con- make <laughs> really confuse the holiday situation. dinners just very confusing. Um, So I did run like a slight Twitter poll. And although the turnout wasn't fantastic because we have a, you know, not uh, worldwide Twitter presence. Follow us on Twitter. Quite. Yeah, follow us on Twitter <laughs> at passive <laughs> underscore podcast. Uh, the people that did vote seem to lean on the side of TTRPGs. That's the side I lean on. But I do know, like I said, there's a lot of people that call it Titter Pigs. There's, I think there's a podcast that just came out mm. called The Titter Pigs where they talk about, well, Titter Pigs. I don't hate it. It's just I don't know if I can bring myself to say it. I will. That's <laughs> just definitively. I, I, I will not. I will pass on that. that. Yeah. Um, all right, that, our intro will stay our intro. <laughs> Although now it's going to take four takes every time. At least four takes because mm. I'm just going to scream titter pigs over at the top of my lungs yes, over, you over your intro. Yes, you um, we might as well dive into the actual content of this episode. And uh, I kind of want to just explain because I know it might be kind of vague uh, to people what that means when we talk about playing your sheet versus playing your actual character. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to just take like a, a minute and describe what the hell we mean by that? Yeah. If you ever yelled... I want to make a perception check. Mm-hmm. Your 
a perfect example of playing your sheet versus sure. playing the kind of the narrative concept of your character. Yeah. So this game has basically exists on a sliding scale where on one extreme is war gaming, tactical, everything is everything is decided by the Warhammer the rules. Yeah. Yeah. Or what where what D&D grew out of. Yeah, yeah. Um on the, all the way on the other end of the spectrum is a completely narrative game aka a novel. Sure. And where you fall on that, where you start and where you play on that is like the tone of your game. So if you are a more crunchy rules-oriented player, you look at your sheet and you say, I can do these things and the rules allow me to do these things. I'm kind of usually that ends up like kind of talking in at the table in terms of rules. Mm -hmm. And then more towards the narrative is descriptions of what you're doing like a real person. Yeah. uh, And wanting to describe what your intentions are and let the GMs either say, this is what happens or let's make a skill check. Yeah. Right. So it's the difference between, I'm scouting ahead and I want to make a perception check to see if there's any ambushes versus I'm scouting ahead. I'm checking for ambushes. I'm looking around. I'm staying aware, staying frosty. And then GM can say there's an ambush up there. Make a associated skill check to see if you detect it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, really what it boils down to for me is making the narrative work around the mechanics versus making the mechanics work around the narrative. Because you can't, I don't think you can perfectly isolate the two. I mean, you've got like improv theater, right? Yeah. And that's like its own thing, which is obviously one end of the spectrum. And then you've got, like you said, war gaming or just doing math on an abacus. Which is the the other end of the spectrum. Which is fun as in, which in is its own fun right. As, have you ever seen those videos of those kids that are really good doing abacus work? I have not. It, it's kind of incredible. I don't know. You know what my favorite team of those kids is? Who's that? The Titter Pigs. God damn it. Dude, listen. If you don't change your hockey team's name to the Titter Pigs or at least propose that at a meeting. First of all, my hockey team's name is the Tidy Whities. <laughs> it's, it's too good to change. We will never change that. <laughs> never. So the point is, is that... There is a sliding scale, and you will fall somewhere on it. The question is, where do you want to fall on it? Yeah. What is there more value in different places on that sliding spectrum? Sure. Is it more difficult for a GM to run a good game when it leans too far in one direction or the other or both? Mm-hmm. Is it more enjoyable for players to be somewhere different on that sliding scale? Yeah, and I think the the reason why we're having this conversation to begin with is that you're always going to have a blend of both right at your table and and sometimes it'll just work out some people are fine with just saying okay my entirety the entirety of my experience is planning my next action but then the other people are like the entirety of my experience is the character growth that i experience and it's like sometimes it works and sometimes it does cause conflict because it it, you'll have disparate Mm -hmm. opinions about how the game should be run at your table i think that you'll find that that too also just kind of falls into different archetypes a player who wants to play a face is sure. probably more interested in narrative because they're interested in speechifying. Mm-hmm. And a person who is way into the uh, you know, combat-oriented aspects of the game is probably more interested in the rules of combat because it's the hardest the place I find it is hardest to develop a character and to ha- tell a narrative, a cohesive narrative, is during combat. Yeah, and I mean, I'll expand on this later, but I want to... Basically, I've always said that combat is the most boring part of any game. That's just my personal opinion. 
So it certainly can become a slog because of the rules. The yeah. rules can, in some games, really weigh that down. I mean, very few players, even like super wargamey characters or players, want to be in a one combat that lasts yeah. all session. Yeah. So before I kind of talk about how I view this sliding scale why don't we why don't you tell us like what your personal preference is and maybe your evolution through that process so i would say that i when i first started i would definitely lean more towards the rules just because they're tangible Mm -hmm. and i didn't have much experience with narrative but i think as i have played more and probably more as i've run games wanting to be an example of what type of game i want to run or like what's more rewarding to me as i've definitely tried to tilt more towards a narrative approach not super swingy i'm not like 80 20 narrative but i think if as long as i'm more than 50 percent you know of like what makes up my experience then i'm very pretty happy i also have experiences with different archetypes as far as those go because sometimes i do want to play you know uh you know, sneaky rogue fighter or range guy. Sometimes I am a face and I do most of the talking at the table, much to everyone else's dismay. (laughs) Um, So the opportunity I've had the opportunity as a player to, to be in different parts of that spectrum, more based on like kind of what you're playing. Yeah. You can bring a lot of narrative to, you know, the barbarian, but it's, it makes, it, it takes more effort. And you can bring, you can really exploit the rules as a face when you want to charm the impossible to charm thing, which Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. every GM hates. Um, (laughs) But so you can exist in those spaces. There's room to to have a different slider even within, you know, when you zoom down into different microcosms of the game. But I would say generally, as I've played and as I've wanted to try to make an example for my table in the future... I would say I try to be more narrative than I have in the past. Yeah. And I think that that's very much the same as my experience is that I, I tend to get caught on rules and I like rules heavy stuff. Don't get me wrong. I'm like, as you know, and you as well, an avid board gamer. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I like war games. I, I just backed a recent uh, war game on Kickstarter, which is like 3D print. You print your own kind of like Warhammer style stuff. I, I hate to use that as a frame of reference, but I'm not super schooled in war games. So I'm just always going to reference Warhammer here. <laughs> but it's like a Warhammer like. Right. And it's got like a narrow rule set. And it's it's very much just that experience. So I like stuff like that. And I, I found myself early on in my, my TTRPG career leaning on stuff like that. But really, it's yeah. I mean, I've developed so much more toward the narrative spectrum Mm -hmm. that like there are actually situations where I'll just like dump rules. So like if you give me a compelling enough like speech or you tell me what you're doing in like a detailed enough way, like I'll just forego checks. And like I think you raised the example earlier today about um, chase rules. Yeah. I mean, if we're if we're doing an exciting chase and we're describing things and the players and the GM are, are, you know, kind of exchanging the story and it's working and it's not a breeze or it's not crazy difficult. Yeah. Then like you can get away from the rules of what's happening. I mean, I don't think that you can just say if you want to hit them with your sword, you do because you described it beautifully. <laughs> I don't know if you can get that loosey goosey with sure. the rules, but like certainly players in my games have effectively given the speech that succeeds or convince someone to help them by talking it out. Obviously, social rules in a game 
are much more forgiving for that. Sure. But they can inform the rest of your game. Yeah, and I think that our experience is really analogous with the way TTRPGs have been evolving. Because, I mean, we all know that these originally started, these were kind of like the cousin of war games right. that were much more popular. They grew out of rule war game rule books and like sure. tried to add narrative to it yeah you know why are these two armies that we're measuring with uh with you know with by the inch you know when they move around on this table why are they fighting exactly and war game, you don't you don't necessarily need that narrative <laughs> but if you want to make it more compelling and you want to stretch out the experience then you add the narrative yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, <clears throat> like I said, just with the evolution of TTRPGs, things have gone much more toward a narrative perspective that people are taking towards these things. They're mm -hmm. focusing more on the role play instead of the mechanics, and they're opening up a whole new world of possibilities with these like lesser heard of systems, some things that completely abstract rules away, like don't even have dice. Sure. Right? Everything can be you know, kind of customized to what your experience is or what you want it to be, right? So if there's a market for more narrative games, then people will have a chance to write those games or publish those games that they want. So as the market grows, there's more room for any of that. There's more room for literal wargaming. There's more room for GMless games or solo games or narrative games, cooperative games where everybody kind of, the, the lines between GM and player blur and everyone's kind of sharing responsibilities. Those things become available, become more available because people want to explore that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were talking about the fact that every book nowadays, it seems every core rule book, uh, all the way to literal D&D says at the beginning, when they talk about character creation, they talk about the idea of step one, before you touch the dice, envision what you want that character to be. Yeah, I mean, I literally have the book right here. We're, yeah, yeah we, we, so just to prove it, just fifth prove edition... It. In, when 5th edition tells you how to make a character, this is what they start with. Yeah, so uh, this is the second paragraph of the chapter one step-by-step -step characters, and it says literally, before you dive into step one below, think about the kind of adventurer you want to play. You might be a courageous fighter, a skulking rogue, a fervent cleric, or a flamboyant wizard, or you might be more interested in the unconventional character, such as a brawny rogue who likes hand-to-hand -hand combat, or a sharpshooter who picks off enemies from afar. Do you like fantasy fiction? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it literally says, first and foremost, have a relatively clear vision of the kind of character, the kind of narrative experience you want to have yep. before you decide to start fleshing that out mechanically, because all that shit... I don't want to say it comes secondary, but we can make that work with whatever your initial vision is. Well, and it's going to work because that's how the game's determined. Right. That's how the game works. But if you come to it with the vision, let's say, for example, you want to make Han Solo. There's a there's a rules way that you can make all those things fit when you start incorporating your attributes or your skills or your feats or talents or edges or whatever. But at first... You say, I'm this cocky smuggler. Elaborate on Han Solo. Furry. You have, a, <laughs> you have a walking carpet for a friend and you have a spaceship. And there's ways to like literally make all that in terms of the game. But if you're not in the mode of, you know, like if you're not going to be that character when you're playing it, you know then you're right. just you're just a collection of numbers. Exactly. And you can use those numbers to do fun stuff and to do things that we can narrate on. But if you start with the descriptions of what's going on, then I mean it's just more immersive too. Right. You know, what's more immersive? 
describing this action or citing a rule from the rule book. Exactly. And man, that I think is like probably one of the biggest points to make in this discussion for me personally is immersion breaking, right? And that's where I was talking earlier about the disparity between certain play styles at tables. Now, I want to come right off the rip and say that I don't think that there is a, a right way to play these games. I don't think that if you're mechanically oriented, you want that that you're playing wrong or that if you're, you know, narratively oriented, you're playing correctly. But I do want to say that like sometimes mixing and matching those can lead to fire. It's like oil and water, which does not lead to fire, but we're not going to get into physics. We're this not is a not a science. Podcast. This is not science. Go, go go listen to Neil deGrasse Tyson if you want if you want science. Whole different nerd. Whole different type of nerd. Uh, but no, that being said, I mean, like I said, some people really want to get into that narrative experience. And if they're, you know, talking to the Lord of the Manor and they're really role playing this out with that NPC and the GM, and then somebody comes in and the first thing that they lead with is, well, I'd like to make an insight check or I would like to make a, uh, you know, a this check or a that check to see if this person is lying or telling the truth and not allowing that narrative experience kind of to play out. I think that can really diminish the immersion for the player that wants to do things more narratively. Yeah, well. It also, one way I like to kind of diffuse that too as a GM is is kind of like to ask the question like, how would you even do that? Right. So if I like if I open with, is this guy lying? Right. Well, like there's a follow up sentence to that. Either it's a ruin the immersion by saying make an insight check, or you can explain like, does this guy look nervous? See. Guy, you know, is he doing any tells? Yeah. Rapid blinking. Is he looking up psychologically to access his creative That's brain all to lie? Shit I do anyway. You know, like you <laughs> yeah. are, you are always lying. I am. I am either always lying or I just have some stuff. Do going you on. like the person you podcast with, Ivan? <laughs> what? Oh, that's a lot of blinking. Oh, hold on, there's something in my eye. It's a lot of blinking. Um, you're hiding behind your laptop. I can't see you. Um, <laughs> I so, am short like, enough. Yeah. I mean, and and if you're a, a person who you know is good in social situations. You should be good. You should be able to describe that stuff because that's where your expertise comes from. Yeah. So it's not, uh, I want to make an insight check to see if they're lying. It's, I think this guy might be lying or I always think people are lying. So I'm going to keep an eye on this guy. I'm going to keep an eye because that kind of comes from your background usually, you know, like, or that comes from the fact that you've been, when you advance your character, you've been trying to advance that skill mechanically. Why? So if you are good at it, there's a reason you can't practice staring at someone until, you know, like, (laughs) you you know, until they lie. That's a very hard to do, like to find the time. Um, So if you elaborate, like, I mean, I think that most GMs are pretty down with that. If you elaborate on the action that leads to a mechanic, it makes sense to make that check. Like, that's a great way to just to do that, to use mechanics. Without breaking immersion. Yeah. You describe what's going on, and then the referee can say, here's how we handle it with rules. Because they expect a a referee to use those rules. Yeah. So, like, if everyone kind of, I mean, stays in their lane, you being narrative and describing and the GM choosing to narrate back at you or use a rule, then that's how we keep things kind of rolling in a natural way and hopefully not breaking things down into looking at a page, you looking at your character. Cause as much as a GM can break the, the flow of the game by having to reference something in their book, page turn, page turn, page turn, 
a player can do it too by just having their nose in their sheet. If they're trying to figure out, if they're trying to read several feats to figure out which one's going to work in this situation, like that's going to break the flow of things just as much as having to look up a chase rule. No, I completely agree. Two things for me. First and foremost, as I've evolved as a TTRPG player and especially as a GM, I have learned to loathe and despise the are you lying checks Mm -hmm. and the do I see it checks. Right. So like I understand that there are Symbarum, which we play regularly. It's basically you can have uh, I think it's cunning versus vigilance Mm -hmm. pretty regularly. So you can do things like sneak up on something. And in those cases, a mechanic for like saying, do I notice this is really important. But I feel like because people are are so nose down in their sheets and so nose down in the rules and a lot of these systems that we've evolved a kind of a culture where it's like, hey, dude, there's this giant fucking monolith in front of you. Do you see it? And that we've decided collectively to make arbitrary like roles to see if we can do something really really simple and i think that that's a space where we should say listen pare down on how how much these rules matter sure yeah there, it, to me it's twofold one there's uh there's you have to have a little bit more you have to provide the players with the tools to to tell the story right yeah so if like if there's an army marching at you on the horizon like Someone's going to see that. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like you yeah. don't have to roll. Like yeah. someone's going to see that. Plus also like you can stunt the story by having something hang on whether they see something or not. Like yeah. if it's just, if it's going to further the story or if it's obvious, like just give it to them. Yeah. Like this isn't, you don't get bonus points for just clattering plastic all over the place. Exactly. Like, or metal if you really love. Oh, you don't bring your metal dice to my fucking or table, dude. Dragon bones. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, to me, is this This is where you get into the adversarial GM. Yeah. This is where it's, is he lying? Because you think that uh-huh. everything is a trap. Right. If you have to, I mean, you should have a healthy dose of skepticism as a player. You're going to go out in the world and just get smashed by the first yeah. thing, yeah. or you're going to get hoodwinked by the first con man that lies to your character. You should have that, but it shouldn't just be like subsuming. You shouldn't just want to be like, can I make a check to see a thing? Every time there might be a new thing to see or every time someone talks to you, you got to think that maybe there's some angle shooting going on here and you got to figure out the subplot. You know, that was one of the things I liked about playing in Middle Earth is that like a lot of the stuff is just right there on the surface. It's Mm -hmm. not there's not a lot of I mean, like Tolkien hated allegory. Right. So in the game, we're not going to have a lot of allegory. We're just going to kind of keep it on the surface. There's good and evil and your your adversaries are going to be sneaky and your allies are going to be straight with you you know like there's that stuff is right there you and it's low magic to, right it's low magic it, kind of lends itself it, to that more it is naturally as well right so like if you're trying to do good also like that's another thing when it comes to like narrative if you are trying to do good and you're trying to help people then like why would you always be trying to sniff out li- people lying and trying to take advantage of you your default mode would be i want this person tells me they need help i'm going to help them and i think that that's when you're developing your initial character marking things like that like i'm particularly gullible or i'm particularly trustworthy mm-hmm. are all things that you should consider and if you're really dedicating yourself to playing that role you should probably consider those things before you make these kind of arbitrary mechanically influenced actions and and going back to something that we said before i think the real key in all of this is making one justify the other And that's a two way street. So making the rules justify the narrative and making the narrative justify the rules. And sometimes when you're like, I want to drink from the pool of water, 
But can I roll a a knowledge check or something to see if it's poisoned? Right. Ev- not every house that you stop by on the on the road just to stay a night is trying to poison. Is you. trying to poison you, but also like, how the fuck would you just roll a knowledge check to see if it's poisoned? Yeah, yeah. You can't just say, "Oh, is that poisoned? Let me adjust my glasses." Sure. Nope, we're fine. Well, that <laughs> uh, I, I didn't give an example earlier, but one thing when you are when you want a character, a player to elaborate when they're trying to get to a skill check is if they say like, "Okay, so we're out in the village square and we're out in the village market and it's busy." Yeah. Um, I want to see if they're. I want to make a perception check to see if I notice any pickpockets. And say, well, like, how would you even see that? Like, <laughs> no, they don't. Whole... They don't have a sign. <laughs> they, if they're good at it, they're not like giving away their motives. If they're you good know? at it, like, I love what that are you too. looking for that you would look for pickpockets? Or I'm, we're trying to meet our secret contact. How would you know that they're your secret contact? What right. are you looking for? Right. You know, because sometimes it's just not possible, or it's it can inform what the check even would be. <laughs> what are you to see if the the magic fountain has poison water? Literally, what would you even? What are you even accessing? I, right, and it's like tell them to do that in real life. I feel like I'm need, I'm going to start responding to that as a GM. I'm going to be like, okay, walk out into the middle of Times Square and tell me which of these fucking people are accountants and which are bank tellers. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> go do me a favor, yeah. figure that out for yourself. <laughs> well, that's that's part of the realism too. If you want to be immersive. That is the way that it works. Yeah, there's things that are like supernatural or heroic and things that, you know, transcend kind of the the drudgery of day to day. And and that's where like a lot of, you know, some of these mechanics work. But like you also that's gets back to the whole like like you can't charm a black dragon. Right. I mean, like I don't care if you like if you roll the best roll. And you add up all the things and it's a big, huge number. Still doesn't necessarily mean that like you get to do the thing, yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah. and sometimes the narrative is what can get you over that gap. Are you going to promise this evil thing that you want help from? What like how would you even ally yourself with it? Right? Yeah. If you're yeah. going to quote charm the dragon, like what are you even doing? I did, and I think that there's a really kind of important distinction to make between anything is possible and anything is possible. Right. So like you said, charming a black dragon, like there are mechanics in several systems that say specifically, this is your marker for how hard this shit is. Mm -hmm. And like, this is easy. This is medium. This is difficult. This is whatever. Like, but realistically speaking, there are situations you can't win. If I want to pick up an entire castle with one pinky, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think realistically in a setting where you're trying to make this immersive and believable for everybody participating, that there is a role high enough where you can stick your pinky under that castle and lift the whole darn thing. There are just acts that you will not be able to achieve regardless of the dice roll. The, the caveat to that is, is it a hyper exciting end of story moment? Yeah. Is there a reason why this should like, Bend the rules of physics, you know, like, I mean, there, if you cast a spell that lets you levitate something and you, your components, including you, you have to like touch the object and for a flourish, you put a pinky under, (laughs) under the castle (laughs) and you cast a spell that can let you lift a castle. Then like, that is cool. But like, just by default, Mm -hmm. like the kind of the mundane version of that is that there should be some things that are impossible. Also, like 
if we want to talk about like immersion and reality and stuff like that, like why are you even trying to do that? Why are you trying? <laughs> why are you trying to charm the dragon? Why are you trying to lift the yeah. unliftable thing? You yeah. know. So that that to me comes back to the realism and the expectation, right? Can we? How much can we expect a player to go into this process? with a narrative non rules oriented approach to what they want to make for a character because sometimes it's kind of sweet to be like I want to use this ta- I want to build a character around this talent mm-hmm. as long as you can communicate the fact that there's narrative element to it too why you want to what got you there if you can describe it in the moment if you can bring the immersive nature to it then that's fine to build around a mechanic but you have a plan going in you know, you have a reason for wanting to use it besides it's so powerful. It's the most powerful talent or feat in the game. Right. And I think that's the that's the difference between inspiration and a crutch. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you should be able, you should be able to pull things like from bestiaries or from the talent trees to say this inspires me. I, mm-hmm. I actually did that for our Simbarum campaign where I, I looked at. My original concept for that character before he came Mr. Ben Will Mind Manipulator mm-hmm. was Shapeshifter, right? I saw that they had shapeshifting in this world. Uh, they had the, uh, you know, the changeling um, effect thing going yep. on as well. And I said, wouldn't that be cool if, like, my whole focus was around, like, bears? I want to have a little pet bear. I want to shapeshift into a bear. I want to do a bunch of bear shit. And I was like, that's exciting. I'm sourcing that for inspiration coming from a mechanical place. But I'm not just saying, like oh, here's this skill. You know what else would really mechanically complement that skill? Because I've sat here and metagamed it until my mm-hmm. face turned blue is natural weapon or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? The second well, ability. Well, and also you in that specific example, you tied it to a local culture mm-hmm. that has bear companions. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of if you're starting from baseline shapeshifter, a human with a bear companion you're right. has a natural connection to shapeshifting like you can easily understand why like you know if they wear bear skins or they right. paint their face you know so, so that they kind of look like bears like you are shapeshifting in, <laughs> in a narrative not rules oriented way i'm not know? laughing at what you're saying but i know i'm just lining myself for so many absurd furry jokes that i'm half hoping and half we don't get hoping we don't get emails for me <laughs> oh i just had this pet companion bear and i shapeshift into a bear yeah i swear no funny business you, um, our hashtags and our algorithms are going to be different for this episode. No funny, but I promise I won't bring that to your table. If you are a non RPG person listening to this because it flat and you got, you wound up here because of that. I apologize. I appreciate you getting this far. Yeah. I appreciate you getting this far and you know what? Stick around. Start gaming. Play, start gaming. Play some barum. You can be a bear. Start with a concept. <laughs> don't look at the rules yet listen i'm not gonna say it because it's almost too absurd and offensive for for this podcast which i feel like we set the bar pretty mm. pretty high for what can be too offensive sure. but that being said uh listen to hello from the magic tavern the barbarian crom has a very interesting relationship with bears yeah oh i mean listen to that show anyways because because it's great, it's great. <laughs> and he's one of the greatest characters um <laughs> wow so where were we? <laughs> um, one example that we want to talk about is the idea that like games, and we mentioned this in passing earlier, is that game systems can encourage that and reward that. Um, you mentioned that uh, some World of Darkness games were some of yeah. your initial exposure to um, games that can get you in a narrative headspace 
and get you away from just thinking how how would I do this from a rules perspective? Yeah, exactly. World of Darkness was the first one that popped into my head because I mean, I was thinking of Vampire the Masquerade specifically where it's like almost exclusively political intrigue and very heavily focused on role play almost to the point where there's like zero kind of combat stuff at all. Um, And I think that it lends itself not only really well to playing a more narrative based role playing experience, it lends itself really well to LARP, which I always thought that was a weird distinction between live action role play and people who are role playing at a table because they're both technically live action. It's just really cosplay role play. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's well, the difference. if you're like a super physical person sitting at a table, like you're pretty cool. You're, you're almost <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. Almost there. If you play um, non LARP world of darkness and you attend like in a three piece suit, you're pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is a couple of, of uh, polypropylene fangs or whatever. And you're good. Um, sorry, chemist. Yeah. Sorry, chemist. <laughs> just fangs would be fine. Just fangs. Fine. Actually, I don't even know if polypropylene would work for that. Now that I'm thinking about it, is that the correct plastic? I do not know. And I will never know. Good enough. Anyway. Uh, so world of darkness, vampire, the masquerade, I believe it's werewolves, the apocalypse. And I can never remember the third one. Say it wrong so that we get people correcting us. Witches of the Eastwick. Eastwick. <laughs> Please correct us. Listen, I've, I've, I've maybe seen werewolves played like once. I played a little bit of Vampire the Masquerade. I can never remember the third one, the third primary one. There's actually five, you big idiot. And they're Vampire the Masquerade, Werewolf, the Apocalypse, Mage, the Ascension, Wraith, the Oblivion, and Changeling, the Dreaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the point of this is that there are systems out there that lend themselves more to one or the other. Now, I would argue that... D and D, not to mention D and D, but drink, drink, drink <laughs> take a drink. But D and D lends itself more towards the wargaming side of that mm-hmm. combat heavy type stuff because again, it came out of wargaming. Um, things like World of Darkness did not; they were focused far more on the narrative experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess my little nugget is, you know, spend time investigating other systems that maybe mesh more with your play style. Maybe things are, you know, sit right on that slider somewhere where, where you also reside and you can find a really mm-hmm. fulfilling experience for yourself and your players where you can all kind of find common ground instead of one person wanting to play battle simulator yeah. and the other person wanting to play improv comedy. Well, troupe. And, and, and there's a mix at your table. I mean, not everyone is the same type of player. Yeah. And, and sometimes that mix can show other show the other people at the table kind of what's possible if you want to be a more narrative player take some cues from the narrative player i would say like when it's your turn or when you want to do something and it's not your turn there's no (laughs) or there's no turns there's no right way to say this that makes me sound like a smart person um but don't look at the sheet yeah don't use the sheet to literally inform what you're doing just say what you're doing don't say, you know, don't hold up your sheet and read until you get to what you want to do and say, reference that or look, you know, be looking for what is the right uh, talent to exploit this situation. Just tell me what you're doing. I mean, when you introduce a player to the game, usually you do it by saying, tell me what you want to do. And I'll, as the GM, I'll tell you what you need to roll or if yeah. you need to roll anything at all. So there is, there will be value to just always playing like that yeah yeah absolutely if you if you trust your gm as well and this is a message for gms also so fucking listen if you trust your gm to know the rules well enough or to be fair in arbiting those rules or arbitrating those rules yes arbitrating 
It's arbiter arbitrating. Arbitrarily arbitrating Arbitra- Arbitrarily arbitrating the arbiter of in arbit. Wow. <laughs> I like the stretch. It's like it's like the, the Midwest or the Deep South. Arbit's going. going. <laughs> you're, going you're going around the world a couple times. Yeah, I'm going on up into arbit. <laughs> sorry. I'm, the, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm the one who derails things, huh? Yes, true. Yes. Okay, anyway, uh, what the fuck was I even talking about? I, I, GMs, listen up. You yes, said. GMs, GMs, please listen up. I was listening. If you trust the GM to be the arbiter of those rules and you trust trust them to know the rules enough, then instill in them your faith to give you the right course of action when there's something that you want to make mm-hmm. narratively or mechanically work, right? Um, I will give you one gotcha to that, and that is the GM has a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to do, and don't use it as a crutch. But learn your fucking character sheet, mm-hmm. please. Well, learn, learn your character. Learn your sheet. character sheet. One to help to take some things off the jams plate, but also two because then you don't have to play off of it. Mm-hmm. If you know you're good at these things and you know some of like how a feat works or how your weapon works or what your spells do, then you don't have to read them. Exactly, you can just exist with them. Right. Right. I I pride myself on being the GM rules lawyer, not in so much that I'm like combative with my players and be like, you can't do that because it doesn't say that on page 207. Thorough thorough knowledge. Yeah. Having a thorough knowledge. So when people say like, oh, I'd like to do this and be like, do I have a mechanically uh, justifiable reason for you? It's kind of sweet. Even if you are a narrative GM, like to me, it kind of feels sweet when the advanced whatever guide comes out and you get to be like, ooh, this thing might be like a kind of a sweet fit for my table or my player base like i think that player x would really like to check out this thing whether it's a narrative thing or a rule you know whatever but like to be able to kind of see something customizable and know that and like you can add it to your game (laughs) that's pretty cool especially when you are already juggling a bunch of rules but yeah narrative being more narrative just inherently is going to take less off their table because you're not asking to use a rule you're just you're just having a conversation yeah no absolutely and uh you know if i'm gonna shit on gms for knowing their stuff and and being open to that kind of interaction between their players i'm also gonna shit on players and say that um read the table right be conscientious of the people that you're playing with. And I know that's some real kindergarten, know the golden rule stuff, mm-hmm. but be conscientious of who you're playing with. So, you know, if you know there are people more narratively driven or if you know that there are people more mechanically driven, like try at least put yourself out there a little bit and try just to dip your toes in the water of that other end of the slider and say, like, if people are very obviously describing things in a, in a, in a verbose and sensational way, don't just say, I swing my sword and I hit them on the head and do they die? Like, you know what I mean? Give it a little bit more gusto. Try a little harder. If you are a war gamer and the most you get a lot out of the combat aspect Mm -hmm. of the game, then maybe inhabit that space a little more. You are you probably because you're a person who loves that part of the game, you probably do already know a lot of the rules yeah, and yeah. and you don't have to look up a lot of things. You do know how your feats work and you do know the ranges of different things and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So now you have a little bit of room to breathe where you can. You know, we talked in another episode about like handing as a GM handing over the description of the, of the death blow to the character who strikes it. I was going to use the exact same example. I was sitting here and thinking in my head. So, <laughs> yeah, so you great. can lead up to it too. You, if you can describe the death blow, like, you know, you, 
why do you use think about why you use the weapon you use and how you know like all the training you've gotten and all the ex- different situations you've gotten yourselves into and that it has helped bail you out of the style at in which you participate in combat includes the death blow it doesn't yeah, have to yeah, that's yeah. not the only part you get to describe you know i mean it's cool to watch uh uh conan like swing his battle axe leading you know, all the parts of that combat not just when he finally like gets all the heads of the hydra off you know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah, but all yeah. the swinging and missing and dodging and dipping and how the what's happening in the right. environment around him all that stuff is is cool because of the descriptions so like be descriptive and that's i mean if that were the case fantasy novels would literally be meet hero meet hero's enemy hero defeats enemy end <laughs> finish the novel on page much one. shorter yeah be much 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 shorter um yeah so uh you got any final thoughts do we have anything else that we want to mention that we think is particularly important in this i think concept? the one thing that we wanted to stress too is that um you can uh blend the concepts of combat and social interactions the same way there's just a slider and everything yeah you can yeah. you can make social interactions as rule oriented or as speechifying as you want, you can do the same thing for combat to be able to have like, probably in systems and I, we played in some of them, but systems where there is less difference between those rule systems right. within the game probably allows you to be more narrative with both. Yeah. Because Social encounters by default kind of are more of a narrative thing, which with maybe like a role at the end. Yeah. And combat is more like a role at the beginning with maybe some description afterwards. Exactly. So the more you can kind of like mix those up and just have them be encounters, whether they're combat or social or any other kind of like more uh, super specific types of Mm -hmm. encounters, you're probably going to benefit from that by being able to be more narrative because the system is kind of, um, it's more generic in what it's asking for you. Right. As far as rules or narration go. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that can go either end of the spectrum as well. You know what I mean? Like I said, finding a, a melding point between social and or combat encounters, you can make like a super hard dichotomous split between the two, which is kind of the paradigm we live in now. But if you want to, you know, those things to blend together better, you know, maybe like taking out things like initiative order. Or taking out things where skills are only combat pertinent and not necessarily socially mm-hmm. pertinent. Um, and I I mean, that requires, it's kind of a heady concept that requires a lot of trust on both the side of the players and the GM to not steamroll over each mm-hmm. other. But um, yeah, kind of, and I, I hate to talk about Symborum again, but we're playing the game, so it's obviously top of mind. Uh, and I don't hate to talk about Symborum because it's a great game by a super great company. It is a great game. Um, but in Symborum, they call things scenes, right? And sometimes, although you do have your quickness score, where it will like determine who goes in what turn order sort of in, in combat, that can be applied to social encounters as well. You can either not do turn-based combat, or you can do turn-based combat and turn-based social encounters. Mm-hmm. And like either way, you know what I mean? As long as those two disparate concepts some like meet somewhere unified in the middle, I think it opens up a lot of possibilities to kind of eliminate the adversity you might find between two different styles of player at one table. Mm-hmm. Um a quick one, an easy one would be um try to participate 
as in first person more often. Yeah. Because it's way easier to describe what you're doing from a first person perspective. It's way harder for you to say uh, in first person, you know, I make a skill check. Yeah. Because people don't say that. (laughs) Exactly. I would like to think that I'm a particularly creative person, but hey man, I got my limits like anybody. And I'll just admit that a lot of my characters that I make in role-playing games, the things that most people think really matter, like how long are my legs and what does my hair look like? Like that kind of stuff, like I don't focus much on. I basically make them look kind of similar to me unless they're like another totally different alien space race Mm -hmm. or something um, because I don't want to have to think about that stuff. I want to think about the character that I'm, I'm playing Similar to how, you know, like an actor in a film, like you're focusing on the role, right? And that's what I want to focus on. I don't want to focus on looking at things through the lens of I'm way taller than I actually am in real life. So um, if it has a narrative application, lean into it. Otherwise, like just let it be out of the way. Yeah, exactly. Just don't think about it. So for me personally, that's something that really brings me into the ability to speak in first person and be like, I'm doing this. I'm speechifying because that whole second thing, that, that whole other barrier of entry that says, you know, this is hard to do because you're you're not you. You know what I mean? That just it brings me closer to my character, which is I don't know, it might not work for everybody. That's a tip for me. I mean, sir, try it. Yeah. If it works for you or if it helps you kind of get into that mode, then roll with it. Mm-hmm. If it if it's not working, then, you know, you, you tried. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's, that's how we're. That's how you are going to move through a lot of different experiences in this game. Yeah. You know, you're never going to know what it's like to play. Uh, a spellcaster if you just never play one like you can think about <laughs> yeah. you can think about yeah, the concept yeah. or you can see what these spells do but like until you inhabit it like yeah. you're only just theorizing and you know by its very nature if you're going to play like a freaking bird person right like that's just going to be harder to interject your own real personality into and harder to role play in the third person first person mm-hmm. first bird person bird, bird person first bird bird <laughs> No, we're venturing into adult swim. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We're venturing into the word vomit portion of the show. Boo. Um, okay, so yeah, man. Like I said, what find whatever works for you. Make sure it jives with the rest of your players or the GM at the table. Um and the one piece of advice that we always give, which is obviously the most important, is just talk about it. Right. We hate to be the people that say it depends, but it depends. You know what I mean? Have mm-hmm. a conversation about it. Yep. And you can grow into it. Yeah. Don't feel like if you don't start a campaign like being super narrative and like trying to understand the rules as you go, like you'll get to a point where if you want to be more narrative, like it can grow out of it. Yeah. And just to reiterate one last and final time. So, you know, where my personal stance is, and I believe we share this, Steve is, uh, there is no right way to play. You know, there's no right way. These are, we're throwing stuff out at you as ways to give you options for maybe, maybe enjoying the game more. Yeah. And if you don't like one side or the other, then you stick to what you like, man, because this is your, recreation and this is your experience if you agree with me you should let us know and then if you think ivan is wrong you should also <laughs> let us know people have been a couple of people on social have been like you know what i, th- I think your opinion is fucked up and i'm like people you know online that will tell you your opinion is <laughs> and i was up. like that is a very very valid opinion uh which is something that i actually love about this show because just in the time that we were talking about this uh, you know, I've changed my opinions on stuff because we should all be willing and excited to change our opinions on stuff because that's personal growth. I like to think, too, that we are we're trying to, like, live this, too, like as yeah. as we're playing in each other's games or other games like or running them like this is a chance to kind of really field test it and see like we can put our money where our mouth is um, by doing these things more. Try to be 
more of what we're talking about. And we're going to report on the results. Yeah, as we have been. You this know? is actually a good segue just to, to hit him with the social, because, I mean, uh, beyond anything, don't don't misunderstand my meaning. I love the fact that people are willing to <laughs> email us and agree with me or, <laughs> or spam us on Twitter calling me a fucking idiot because both are perfectly valid opinions. So we encourage that kind of interaction. So please send us stuff and send us your opinions and your thoughts on this kind of stuff so we can talk about them on the show. Yeah, uh, you can check us out on Twitter at passive underscore podcast. You can email us at passive agropod at protonmail.com. We're on Facebook, too. Um, we, you know, depending on what age you are, you might find us on Facebook. You might not use it. Yeah. All right. So again, I am Ivan. This is Steve. I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us, listening to our ramblings and our musings. Um, it's been a lot of fun. Um, we can't wait to hear about the stuff that you have to say about playing you know, more mechanically oriented or playing more narratively oriented. And uh, I hope that your next session is the best one yet. It will be. It will be. Man, let's join the cult of positivity. Golly. Yeah.